nice and tidy. It's a rule I learned in school. Get your money every Friday. Happy endings are the rule. So divide up those in darkness from the ones who walk in light. Light 'em up, boys. There's your picture. Drop the shadows out of sight. Yes, this is Jennifer Stone with Stone's Throw, and I was just listening to Philip Mulderry. Good old Philip.、Uh, Philip, why am I not surprised? Mulderry, that's what I call him. <laughs> He always says, "Yes, why am I not surprised?" Jennifer, I'm not surprised. I, I'm the original prophet, the original Cassandra here at KPFA.、Uh, oh, by the way, today is the 13th of December, 2011. Still 2011. And I have a premium for you. It's a、uh, memoir of my own, but I'll get around to that a little later.、Uh, I was listening to Philip, and I was thinking about、oh, my own motives, my own goals. You know, the vision thing, boys and girls. We mustn't forget the vision thing. I was thinking about the time years ago when I predicted that the movies you see would tell us. Where we were headed, Philip was talking about the images of violence, the、uh, oh, what are they? The ubiquitous.、Uh, it's a tapestry. I, I sometimes I see it sometimes in the student unions of the colleges. They just put all these movies up on the walls. They're kind of like the backdrop to our lives.、Uh, I don't know. What the function of criticism is now? I think I knew back in the fifties.、Uh, I wrote a book about it in the eighties called "Mind Over Media," which says that much contemporary criticism chatters—you know, the chattering classes—about the patterns made by the sticks and straws on the surface, blithely ignoring the undertow. The currents which flow in the deeps of history, the style and structure of art, as it reflects or as it perhaps dictates the socio-political imagination of the age. Oh, poo, 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 Jennifer.、Uh, does the art, the movies, films, do they? Reflect, or do they dictate? Are they telling us what to do, or are they simply the mirror? Do they just、uh, echo all this madness?、Um, I think my favorite task in recent years has been to explain to the very young what is really happening—that is, flesh and blood happening—and which is something that the filmmakers made up to entertain us. <laughs> Anyway,、uh, 
The sociopolitical imagination of our age is fascinating to me. I, I, I really don't look at the violent films anymore. I look long enough to know that they give me a headache and I look away. Even some of the terrific stuff on HBO lately, uh, oh, let's see, Broadway, Empire, that uh, HBO show about Atlantic City during Prohibition has gotten too gory for me. And Boss, the one with Kelsey Grammer, one or two scenes, you know, chop them up, bury them in the cement of the building. You know, I, I, I have this feeling, my gut feeling, is that uh, a bunch of guys are sitting around thinking, what can we do to make it m- more revolting? How can we push the envelope to make people more, uh, what do you call that, uh, freaked out? I, I'm not sure. I just kind of think, well, not that the filmmakers are getting off on this, but that they're having a terrific time, if you'll pardon my saying. Um, I was going to talk about melancholia today, but I'm not in the mood. That's the movie about the end of the world, kind of because curious thing about that movie by Lars von Trier is that he makes the ending of all things, the ending of our planet, our Earth, seem quite um, uh, uplifting. Yes, that would be the word. It's not quite as ferocious as some of the ones, oh, that thing with... Uh, Nicholas Cage, that was the most, uh, most detailed, you know, uh, it blew up things bit at a time, you know, one continent, uh, every two and a half minutes, that kind of thing. I, I, I don't know, you've seen it all. Uh, if you want to be amused and you have cable television, just snap on the list of trailers or, you know, reviews of movies and watch an hour of the, uh, previews that Philip was talking about and you will see this this collage or montage of what the filmmakers fantasies are all about uh, basically what I see is women in jeopardy and uh, uh, primate grandiosity on the part of the uh, <coughs> the uh, I guess they're heroes. They they think of themselves as heroic or anti-heroes, whatever. Uh, you know, guys beating their chests, you know, silverbacks, showing how they fought the good fight anyway. Uh, you know, uh, I I think uh, I, I'm just I'm just sitting here with my feminist fist in the air. I want to holler out for a new era, a new age, which. Uh, will or is becoming literate in these visual images, you know. Uh, So young people will know what they know. They will be able to interpret and pass judgment, you know, put into words the feelings that are aroused by these images of... uh, uh, Rambo, Raquel Welsh, or Ronald Reagan. I dated all from Ronnie Reagan in 1980. There was plenty before that, but I think the current wave of, uh, what, totalitarianism, uh, bad stuff, let's just call it the bad stuff, uh, militaristic, authoritarian, uh, 
you know, um, despise the victims, the poor, turn on those people, uh, condemn them, say that it's their fault that they messed up, you know, the bottom 20% can simply go hang. <laughs> anyway, uh, I was looking here at my lists for today. It's just exhausting, people, when I come to KPFA. I, I'm always rattling around with, I think I had 18 things last night that I felt we we really needed to address. I needed to, you know, write my letter to the world. Some filmmaker the other day, uh, who was it? Uh, young black filmmaker, he's so funny. Townsend, Robert Townsend, right. He said, well, he said, he said it's my job. He said, it's my job to uh, see everything that's going on and run around and tell everybody else so they can go and do something. <laughs> I'm afraid that's it, folks. That's it. Those of us who holler and shout, we keep thinking that somebody is going to hear us and somebody's going to go out and, and take action as a result of our words. That's the ultimate ego trip. Well, I, I, I guess... Uh, I could be worse, but I don't quite see how. Anyway, I just thought years ago that if I wrote a coherent criticism, you know, uh, I might help the artists to do their job. You know, it's their job to create, and it's the job of those of us. Uh, well, I did start out in education. I started out in the theater, but uh, then it seemed to me that uh, what most Americans, uh, what the kids in our culture needed was uh, some, what is that, hand-holding, some interpretation, a critical faculty, we call that. But everybody said, oh, don't criticize the picture for me, you'll spoil it. Always they yelled, spoiler alert. I said, I'm not interested in the, what is it, the messages, the plots. I said, you know, that's the entertainment business. I'm into film study. I want you to understand why we make the things we make. You know, art is supposed to be about us, folks. Okay, we're supposed to evaluate, we critics are supposed to evaluate what these guys give us. They're giving us a lot of, whoops, can't say that word, on the air. No, I can't do that. Now, back in the 19th century, things were different. Yes, Matthew Arnold, loved Matthew Arnold. Born 1822, died 1888. Neat figures, right. Matthew Arnold, yes, he wrote that poem, Dover Beach. He told us the work of criticism is to discover the best that is known and thought in the world. The end of art being the ennoblement of man. Ho, 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 ho. <laughs> George Bernard Shaw was born a generation later in 1856 to 1950. My God, he got old, right? I was just graduating high school when... George Bernard Shaw died. I didn't know that. I could have gone to England and met the man. He did not believe in the perfectibility of man. He did not believe all that uh, Matthew Arnold stuff about sweetness and light. He believed in a utopian socialist system. 
you know, the kind of system which would render man's vices redundant. You know how that is. Uh, used to say, make socialism pay. Make it, make it be uh, practical to be a good guy. You know, give jobs to the do-gooders. Give them a salary. I still buy that argument, yes. Like Ibsen, Heinrich Ibsen. Shaw wrote about the plight of the modern woman. Both those guys believed a feminist revisionist imperative. That's it. That would change history. I believe that firmly. Ha ha. Mm, we used to say add women and stir. I think I'm coming round to that point of view. I do think women change things, but I also think that things change women. <laughs> History is going to—they're they're rewriting Margaret Thatcher. How about that one? Anyway, ah, uh, yes, I do believe that a feminist revisionist imperative is changing history. Uh, on the other hand, Hillary Clinton looks exhausted. <laughs> Obama looks. Gray and weary, and she looked terrible the other night. I, green is not her color. I, I do like uh, the necklaces. All these women—they meet the cameras today with these beautiful necklaces. Yes, competitive they are. Uh, Gwen Ifill's necklaces are more dramatic than Judy Woodruff's. Never mind. Let's get up here to D. H. Lawrence now. Back in the 19th century, all these elders. He's my source, D. H. Lawrence. He's my source for this notion that the proper function of a critic is to save the tale. The tale. Well, that's it. The tale from the artist who created it. I don't know about the tale. I'm more interested in the style. Anyway, an artist's work is to arouse us and confuse us. That's what I think. A critic is supposed to talk about how she did it. D. H. Lawrence wrote a book back in 1923 called "Studies in Classic American Literature," one of my favorite cockeyed books of criticism. That's a really nutty book. Nobody, nobody thought it was a serious scholarship except me. D. H. Lawrence wrote, "Art speech is the only truth. An artist is usually a damned liar, but his art, if it be art, will tell you the truth of his day, and that is all that matters. Away with eternal truth! Truth lives from day to day. The marvelous Plato of yesterday is chiefly bosh today. I don't agree. I don't agree with D. H. Lawrence, but." I think he's got a point here. The truth of our day, <laughs> if you can't beat him, join him, is that for some reason or another we are celebrating our worst instincts. Turn on the television show Jerry Springer. Ah,、uh, I I saw it once a few years ago, and I thought, how can the producers permit people to be humiliated in public in such a way? And then I, I, I don't even know whether they're being paid. I assume they're getting something for coming on、uh, television and behaving like、uh, yahoos. Said Jonathan Swift had them. 
throwing fecal matter at each other. Now, I haven't seen that on Jerry Springer. I haven't seen that, but I, I have no doubt that's next. They will be throwing S at each other or something along those lines. They're pulling each other's hair out at this point. Anyway, for some reason or another, we seem to get off on this kind of thing. Some people do. And obviously, the uh, the money men have discovered that uh, they can make money by showing uh, human behavior at its most barbaric and disgusting. Let's hear it for barbarism. Yay! In the old days, I used to write letters to those programs and say, Oh, more of that. You know, why don't you cut the women open and string up their entrails? Something like that, you know. Once in a while, I'd get a letter back saying that I needed psychiatric help but you know nobody gets it nobody gets it when you write letters like that they think you're serious nowadays they say okay that's a great idea for a show tell us more right anyway uh years ago when i started trying to write criticism uh see three years of being a film critic was enough for me i mean in print uh it's hopeless everybody um not everybody most people argue over movies the way they argue over their religions, you know. They think of it as a belief system. My mantra nowadays is try to remember it's only a movie. Back in the day, I studied uh, Stark Young. It's another theater critic who is invaluable for those who give a damn. He became my touchstone you know, my way of knowing. I thought to myself that we could find the Tao, you know, being a good Zen Buddhist, well, a good amateur Zen Buddhist. I thought, well, I'll look at the TV. Most of my friends said that the the Tao that is spoken is not a true Dao, not really the path. And I said, no, not un- unless you call it spoken Dao. Anyway, Stark Young always began with what I care about, which is dramatic literature that is with the words, the words, the script. You know, uh, plays, Antigone, uh, Heartbreak House by Bernard Shaw, you know, the beginning of World War One. that was. Hamlet, by the way, yes, Hamlet is meets the Bible, you know. Stark Young so loved the theater that his criticism was always that of a lover, a celebrant. Me too, I always think that the theater is where we go to learn how to be beautiful, how to be wise. Uh, He's got a collection, Stark Young has a collection called Immortal Shadows. Uh, Publication on that is 1948. Look it up. Immortal Shadows by Stark Young. It's a mix of innocent enthusiasm and analytical angst. Well, I'm still looking around for today's critic. Ooh, uh, well, read your New Yorkers. Read your New Yorkers. Once in a while, about one time in six, they really get it right. Uh, a recent review of the god-awful TV series Dexter which has some craft, we admit that, but, you know, uh, fun with a serial killer who kills other serial killers, blah, blah. Anyway, the recent review of Dexter is right on point, sharp. That doesn't mean you should watch The Wretched Show. I can't. I simply couldn't watch it. Uh, 
I'd rather just go, go, you know, just go backstage in a butcher shop and be done with it. Uh, anyway, today, these critics have got to grasp the nettle of nihilism, because that's what we're looking at, folks. That's the truth of our day. They got to zero in on the zeitgeist. Film is the dominant art form of the late 20th century. You know, uh, it will be the everlasting dominant art form of the 21st. Um, I figure we've got at least four, maybe five generations of people caught on film. That changes everything. When I grew up, there was only, oh, let's see, love Greta Garbo. Uh, I had seen a few silence, but for the most part, uh, people who were born before my parents, we, we didn't see them on film. My parents were born 1902, right? Their generation and those that followed, 110 years, right? Those people I can flick on my television and there they are. Before that, it's all a dream. Ah, uh, silent films are so, so beautiful. Talk about mysticism anyway. I think, uh, you know, the past reruns so rapidly before our eyes, you know, we comb through the past and try to find a path to the present. I think that young people do have a strange sensibility now. It's been called post-literate. That's a trip. Does that mean they've already read everything and forgotten it? Or does that mean that uh, their use of language is different than mine? I'm 77. Today we use the word image as a verb. To image, right. The nature of an image is to go right straight to the brainstem without being processed through the cerebral cortex. Now... Back in the day, it was necessary to go to the cerebral cortex and, you know, get get translated into words. Interesting how that works. Uh, over and over again, I ask young people to put into words what they have seen on the screen. And that's where we hit the snag. Some of us can and some of us can't. Never mind. I've got this pile of poetry, and it's too late, because I've got to sell. Oh, Lord. KPFA people, you know how badly I do when it comes to the money. I'm just uh, hopeless. What you know is that we have to keep the store open, no matter what, even in these hard times. We must pay the piper. It says here that you can get a subscription to KPFA for 50 bucks and get a copy of Jennifer Stone's book, Telegraph Avenue Then. Where'd she put it? Here it is. Here it is. Telegraph Avenue Then by Jennifer Stone. <laughs> Some people like this book. Some people don't. I think I wrote when I was drinking. Mm-hmm. It is a memoir of sorts. It dates from 1966 to 1977, and it's completely, completely impressionistic. Talk about anarchy. <laughs> it's all about what was happening in my head and in my life back in the day, back in Berkeley. Uh, 
Yes, someone once wrote, only the dead tell the truth, and then not for some years, so to the journal, the record of the past. Well, tell the truth if you let it soak long enough. Over time, flesh falls from the bones, we get to the marrow of things. I'm reading to you from the foreword of my book. Our myths marinate and the symbols float up to the surface. You know, you remember when they used to shoot off a cannon and the dead would rise? What happens is only history. What matters is mythos. Yes, ask your best friends. What's your mythos? What's your ethos? See if you can get an answer. Most journal writing is elliptical. Mine is at any rate. My thoughts skip like stones across the surface of a life. It's like a seascape seen from a moving train. Beauty is glimpsed rather than known. Trivial and profound get equal time. The sincerity of the moment dies quickly in a journal. That first rush or gush of feeling loses its suds. Honesty comes only with a slow synthesis. And I goes on, I go on here, I goes on, yes, to talk about the pieces selected for this book. Um, Gertrude Stein said, mud settles, yes, too muddy for publication. Actually, we'll see, 11 pieces, no, 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 20 pieces here have been published in other magas in magazines. Published in Appeal to Reason, Backbone, Berkeley Bar, Berkeley Poetry Review, da, 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 Beyond Baroque, down in L.A., City Country, Miners Anthology, magazine, um, collection called Draconian Measures. I think that one had Charles Bukowski in it. Anyway, Minotaur, On the Bus, Open City, Women's Magazine, Plexus, The Realist Room, Vagabond Press, Velvet Wings, Wormwood Review. Anyway, some editors were kind enough to call this collection uh, prose poems. I call it prose. Prose. Straight from the hip prose. And you can get a copy if you get a membership in KPFA, and that will cost you 50 bucks, and you will get a copy of Jennifer Stone's book, Telegraph Avenue Then. So, it says, Please repeat the numbers often and slowly, and also it says here, we need phone volunteers down at the station today, folks. Anybody want to come down and answer phones? <laughs> anyway. Our numbers, 510-848-5732. That's it, folks. The number you call, the 1-800 number is 1-800-439-5732. That number is also 1-800-HEY-KPFA in case you're in the car and you want to go home and call and get a subscription to KPFA and a copy of Jennifer Stone's book, Telegraph Avenue, then just remember this number, 1-800-HEY-KPFA, that's H-E-Y-K-P-F-A. That number uh, in uh, numerals is 1-800-439-5732. I will repeat that one uh, locally here in the Five and Dime area code. You know the Five and Dime, that's my area code. I love it. 
510-848-5732. That's the number to call to join the community to become a member of this group, this gang, <laughs> this tribe, this clan, these people, these people here at KPFA. I have to confess, after 30 years, KPFA is my significant other. How about that? I am married to this radio station. Can you imagine that? Actually, I have some other books. I'll tell you about those next time. But uh, our fun drive total so far, oh dear. <laughs> We're having a rough time. This is our makeup week. It's the second day. And uh says that I must not forget to thank our food donors, Semi Freddy's, Juan's Place. Oh, I love Juan's Place. I love that's Mexican food. I go there a lot. And, oh, oh, I have to get off the air. Well, I didn't sell anything that I know of, but you still got time to call 510-848-5732. Or 1-800-439-5732. That's 1-800-HEY-KPFA. It's been Jennifer Stone, and I didn't have time to read you all this profound poetry. I'll save it for next Tuesday at the same time. Until then, I hope you're having a wonderful holiday. This has been Jennifer Stone. Jingle Bells. Your picture. This is KPFA, KPFB, and Berkeley.